Hey everyone, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Zach, and I'm here with my insert dating story wife, Krista. Here it goes. She says no, but I say yes. So here's how we met so that you can get to know us a little bit better. We both served in the same mission. And a lot of times when I tell people that, there's one of two responses. Either people go, oh, or they go, ooh. Because, of course, elders and sisters don't have any kind of relationship with each other on the mission, which we didn't have, even though I tease her about it. But uh, when I came home from my mission, my family had moved to St. George, which is where she's from. And so um, I called her out one night, asked her if she wanted to go on a date. I think we went to a movie. And... uh, it was probably the world's most awkward first date because at the end of the date, I asked her if we should hug or shake hands, which is, as I've learned since, not a very suave way to conduct yourself on a first date. Um, she said she didn't know, and so I gave her this like weird, awkward, half-side hug, half-full hug that was as much as I could give being a recently returned missionary. And she didn't even raise her arms to hug me back. She just said, I think she said, oh, and then got in the car and drove off. So you love that story. I love that story. <laughs> so it's a miracle that she's here with me. So I'm grateful. And you know, really the reason he wanted to tell the story is also he could post some awkward mission picture of us together. Yes, so. <laughs> we should do that. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, we're excited to be with you anyway. Uh, This is episode 19 and our last episode in kind of the three-part series in these middle chapters in Mosiah where we're backwards and forwards and sideways in time. Here we finally finish this long story that began two episodes ago with Zenith leading his people from the land of Zarahemla down to the land of Lehi-Nephi. Last episode where we talked about King Noah and Abinadi, and today we wrap it up, we get them home safely, and see what lessons there are to learn from that. So we'll begin, though, with our study tip. And this one's been on my mind a lot because I've been wrestling with how to get more out of the scriptures, I guess, how to help people, how to help myself, and how to help other people really change from their scripture study. And part of the answer that's come is there has to be more in our study besides just understanding and knowing truth. There has to be an action and a becoming part of our scripture study, which means this. When you're studying your scriptures, you're going to see very easily, because we're trained to do this, things you need to know or things that you need to feel or new ways to look at old gospel principles or new insights, fresh ideas. We're really, really good at that. But what we don't look at very often is how to act. We're good at finding what we need to do, but we're not so good at finding how we need to do. And so as you study your scriptures, look for not just what you should do, but how you should do it. And I think you actually had a a good idea for, I don't know, an example of that from a previous episode. Well, I think maybe a very famous set of scriptures that we talk about with prayer is an example, because how often you're sitting in Sunday school or in a lesson where you say, oh, you should pray. Well, that sounds really simple, but we all know that prayer is not that easy, especially when we're looking for specific answers. Mm-hmm. So I just thought of our Enos episode, which I learned a lot from as I studied that deeply on really how he prays and how that can be applied to helping my prayers. Yeah. So instead of just saying, 
boy, I learned from my scripture today, I need to pray better to look and see how can I do it? What does this prophet do to pray better? Or as we're going to show you in this episode, what do these people do to minister better? And there's some really good hows. And it's tricky. I'm new at this kind of study myself, but I think it's kind of exciting to look at the scriptures as a resource for how we can live our life, not just on what we should do. And what better resource to have than looking at prophets who are chosen to be in the scriptures that have been preserved for these records that say, hey, this is how this prophet did such and such, learn to pray, learn to connect with God greater. And then we say, this is a great example. I want to know how they got there and how they took those steps. If you want a fun experiment, I've been doing this the last week. It's brand new for me. But if you're teaching this to others, it a lot of times we spend a lot of time in class on information from the scriptures. So get the information out of the way as quick as you can. Identify a truth or two. And maybe even identify the application from that truth. So within the first five or ten minutes of a lesson, either in your Sunday school class or to your children and family home evening, take the first five minutes. Here's the background of the story. Here's the truth it illustrates. And here's what we should do about it. Now, can we go back to the scriptures and can we read verses 17 through 24 and look for how to apply that? And see what people come up with. I think it'd be a really exciting study to turn people loose in the scriptures looking for um, how to apply gospel principles, not just what to do, but how to do it. And a great way for group learning. So this, I think that was a transition to the teaching tip of that part, because what a great way to not have answers as the teacher. Mm. I think that's exactly what you want to do when you're teaching is say, this is equal playing field here. I want to hear your insights that you pull from the scriptures. Yeah. That's a great way to, to do that. Yeah. All right. So with our study this week, um, this is cheesy, but I noticed on my outline that I have A, B, and C. So here's an A, B, C lesson. The A is, do you remember the story of, um, I, I always botched the title, but Alexander and the terrible, horrible, horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. You said too many horribles. Too many but, horribles. But basically. But you remember that, right? I love that story. And he wakes up, I think he wakes up with gum in his hair and there's no toy in his cereal box. And I can't remember all the horrible things that happened to him, but it's a whole book of all of the bad things that happened. And it's kind of a depressing book. There's no happy ending. He just goes to bed and the day's done, right? Well, in this last block of scriptures here in this kind of trio of episodes in Mosiah, we have a group of people who experience a no good, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, however many that is. Uh, so we're going to start at the end of the lesson. This is Mosiah chapter 24. And if you remember, we kind of teased this last episode. In the middle of Abinadi's teaching, he doesn't know this. I've often viewed Abinadi as kind of the starting domino to the rest of the Book of Mormon. He's unaware that he's the starting domino because he dies thinking that no one listens. But of course, we know that Alma listens Alma is then chased out of the city by Noah and his priests, goes into hiding, and in hiding he teaches a group of people, uh, and they start this church that will eventually become the church in Zarahemla. When they get back, King Mosiah asks Alma to organize the church and set up priests and baptize people, and we've got a church up and running. So Alma's a pretty big domino that, that uh, Abinadi knocks over. So this is Alma and his people, and it's at the very end of their time together before they will return to the land of Zarahemla. This is chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 8. One of the 
other priests of King Noah is Amulon, who knows Alma because they were both priests of King Noah. Verse 8 says, It came to pass that Amulon began to exercise authority over Alma and his brethren and began to persecute him and caused that his children should persecute their children. And then jumping down a couple verses in verse 10, it came to pass that so great were the afflictions that they began to cry mightily to God. And Amulon commanded them that they should not, that they should stop their cries. And he put guards over them to watch them that whosoever should be found calling upon God should be put to death. Now that's a pretty bad day. It's made even worse by this fact. If you look at, if you have the old set of scriptures, you look at the bottom and it gives you the time frame. Or if you've got a newer set, then it tells you in the chapter introduction. And it just simply says between 145 and either 120 or 121 BC. Meaning, I don't know where the story picks up and where exactly it ends, but we're looking at not a day and not even months. If it's 145 to 120, we're looking at 25 years. 25 years that these people live in this kind of a condition where they're burdened, they're tasked, they're slaves, and they can't even pray out loud because they'll be put to death. And so if you want a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad 25 years, then here it is. And so our question in this episode is, what do you do when you're in bondage and it's not your fault? Two episodes ago, we talked about what you do when you're in bondage and it is your fault. This time, it's not their fault. They've repented of the wickedness that they did under King Noah's reign. They've built a society on covenants and principles. They're good people struggling for 25 years um, in some really difficult ways. What do you do if that's you? So I have to go along with Zach's alliteration here. If Alexander is the A, then the B is burdens. That burdens can be blessings. And I think as we head into these chapters, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Elder Bednar's talk from April of April 2014. It's called Bear Up Their Burdens with Ease, where he teaches these chapters beautifully. I think probably we should just be reading his talk. I would highly recommend um, going back and studying his talk, but we are going to be quoting from his talk a little bit here. Um, this is the one where he talks about the truck, right? The guy yes. that gets in his truck. So, and and they've, made, you know, they've made a Mormon message out of it because mm-hmm. it teaches such a powerful message. So the basic gist of the story is that this his friend finally decides to buy his prized truck and he heads up the mountain to get wood and is really excited about trying out his new truck and he gets stuck up in the snow with his new truck and is feeling pretty dumb about it. And he decides, well... I'm nervous and this is making me feel scared, but I'm going to get out and just cut the firewood like I planned because I have nothing else to do. And sure enough, as he fills up his, if, fills up the bed of his truck with the wood, um, he gets back in his car and he's able to drive. And so to quote Elder Bednar here, he said, it was the load that enabled him to return to his family and his, and his home. Each of us also carries a load. Our individual load is comprised of demands and opportunities, obligations and privileges, afflictions and blessings, and options and constraints. Two guiding questions can be helpful as we periodically and prayerfully assess our load. Is the load I am carrying producing the spiritual traction that will enable me to press forward with faith in Christ on the straight and narrow path and avoid getting stuck? And two, is the load I am carrying creating sufficient spiritual traction so I ultimately can return home to Heavenly Father? So the thing I hadn't noticed until this study of this talk was the beginning of that quote where he says that our load is comprised of 
these things, mm. demands and opportunities, obligations and privileges, afflictions and blessings, and options and constraints. So it's not just the bad things that we're going through. It's anything yeah, that, so that puts often, responsibility on so us. So often that's what we think, right? And they're in bondage. So that's the example we're using here from these chapters. But to really analyze what our load is, mm-hmm. that it can be the opportunities, the privileges, and the blessings well, of I, our lives. And I even look at that. I mean, the idea that we should periodically and prayerfully assess our load is kind of a new, exciting idea. I don't know if I've ever sat down and assessed my load and asked, is it providing enough spiritual traction? Is my load heavy enough to make sure that I'm growing? But is it also light enough that I'm not buried in the snow and that I can actually move? This So in Mosiah 24, one of my favorite parts of the story is the principle that's taught, I think somewhat subtly, but importantly, uh, starting in verse 13. So Amulon puts all of these burdens or loads, responsibilities, um, tasks on the shoulders of Alma and his people. In verse 13, it came to pass that the voice of the Lord came to them in their afflictions saying, lift up your heads and be of good comfort. For I know of the covenant which you have made unto me, and I will covenant with my people and deliver them out of bondage. Now, we'll talk about covenants in a second. Listen to verse 14. And I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you are in bondage. And this will I do, that you may stand as a witness of me hereafter, that you may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions, which is great news. I'm going to relieve the burdens that are on your backs. I'll make them so light that you won't even be able to feel them, which means that you will then be able to stand as a witness of me. But how God does that is interesting. In verse 15, and now it came to pass that the burdens which were laid upon Alma and his brethren were made light. And then this important word in the scriptures, the word yea, Y-E-A, is almost always a clarifying word. It means it takes whatever comes before it and explains it with whatever comes after it. So I will ease the burdens that were, or the burdens were eased, which were laid upon Alma and his brethren. Yea, or explanation, the Lord did strengthen them that they could bear up their burdens with ease. And they did submit cheerfully and with patience to all the will of the Lord. In other words, God did not actually remove burdens from their shoulders. He didn't actually lighten the burden. What he did was to strengthen the backs of the burden bearers. And I think that's exactly what Elder Bednar's teaching, right? Well, he has this, I'll read another quick quote here from him that explains this a little deeper. But Alma and his followers were strengthened, and their increased capacity made the burdens lighter. These good people were empowered through the atonement to act as agents and impact their circumstances. And in the strength of the Lord, Alma and his people were directed to safety in the land of Zarahemla. So they are strengthened, and then they're freed. But not the other way around. They're not freed and then strengthened. They have to have the burdens in order for God to strengthen them. They don't need strengthening without burdens. You don't need to be stronger if you don't have a reason to be stronger. Well, in this sentence, he says here that basically that they were empowered. God empowered them to be able to get through their trial, to carry the load that they had to carry. And And, it was him. And then once they're strengthened, then, then he frees them. Yeah. So A was Alexander. B, burdens can be blessings. (laughs) C is this word that comes up that we read in verse 13. 
covenants. And I know that's a very commonly used word uh, in modern Mormon parlance, but I don't know if we quite understand it, or at least I didn't understand it until I really dug into the definition of what a covenant is. So back in chapter 18, this is the covenant chapter. So this is before Alma and his people are loaded up with burdens. This is when they're in the wilderness, before they get to the land of Helam, they make this great baptismal covenant, and then 450 people are baptized. It's a wonderful chapter and beautiful. The word covenant means, based on its Hebrew roots and even some Greek roots, the word covenant means to bind or clasp or fetter, which means to tie together two things. So to covenant with something means to tie myself to something or more appropriately to someone. And so listen to who these people are tying themselves to in chapter 18 and what it is that they're promising. Verse 8, this is Alma speaking to his people right before they're baptized. And it came to pass that he said unto them, Behold, here are the waters of Mormon, for thus they were called. And now, as ye are desirous to come into the fold of God and be called his people. So there's the first covenant. They're tying themselves to God. And it gives this beautiful image of if I'm standing next to the Savior, I'm tying my arm to his, which means from here on out, wherever I go, he goes. I love to teach this at baptisms to help uh, these young children understand what it is that they're doing when they get baptized. It's not, we always talk about baptism for the remission of sins. Well, they're eight years old. They haven't sinned anything really yet. It's not to wash away their sins. It's not about what they have done that makes the baptism so important. It's about what they're going to do, right? They're tying themselves to the Savior so that wherever they go, he will go. And more importantly, wherever he goes, they will go. And maybe even to take it a little bit further, in a recent study, something that we heard about the priesthood and thinking about the priesthood as this power of God, that you're really, with the restoration of the priesthood, we're really linking ourselves to God's mm. power in this empowering way, yeah. <laughs> power, yeah. I guess. But that it's not just, we, he's giving us access to his yeah. great power, you're, which just is a little bit exciting. Yeah, no wonder they were clapping their hands with joy when they made these covenants because that understanding that God is ready to open access to his power and through the proper authority of the priesthood that we have that. Yeah. So that's the first covenant that they make is with God. The second, though, is in the rest of verse 8. So willing to come into his fold and be called his people and are willing to bear one another's burdens, to bear one another's burdens, that you may be, that they may be light. Yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort and stand as a witness of God at all times and all things and all places that you may be in even until death that you may be redeemed of God and be numbered with those of the first resurrection, that you may have eternal life. Now I say unto you, if this be the desire of your hearts, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord as witness before him that you have entered into a covenant with him, and you might add with others, that you will serve him and keep his commandments, that he may pour out his spirit more abundantly upon you. Boy, if you have been paying attention the last couple of weeks, the church has been ablaze with ministry. I know in our ward it's been that way. It seems like every 
sacrament meeting, someone's talking about it. We just had our elders quorum presidency sustained and set apart today. And everyone is talking about this ministering, this kind of firing idea. And I think that's the covenant that these people make at the Waters of Mormon. They are covenanting to bear one another's burdens and to minister to each other. And so what we thought we'd do is just throw out some quotes and verses that mean ministering to us. As we read these, we came just across a bunch of individual verses and even a couple more quotes from Elder Bednar and from others that just mean ministering. And so here we go. I already mentioned this, but that verse right after that we all know, willing to mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need and comfort, here they are making this covenant to minister to other people and they clapped their hands for joy and exclaimed, this is the desire of our hearts. They were so excited Mm -hmm. to make this covenant and to be ready to serve God and serve, serve those around them. I I think think it's fun to think of it that way. It's like, yes. And maybe that's how a lot of people felt. I don't know why in a lot of ways, like it's very similar to visiting teaching in the past, but maybe it, it feels a little more free, Mm -hmm. freeing maybe. So people have feel that power that they, don't feel as constrained, maybe. And it, they get to just minister and you be guided by the Spirit. Seems like a lot of people are excited that now that there's no box to check, now I can really serve and lift and help the way that I've wanted to all along. But I've been kind of constrained by, I have to follow this program or I have to do this a specific way. And now we can really open ourselves up to obeying this covenant that we've made to carry one another's burdens and to mourn with those that mourn and to help each other. The verses I really liked is verses 21 and 22 in chapter 18. He commanded them that there should be no contention one with another, but that they should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism. And then this is the line I loved, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love one towards another. And thus he commanded them to preach, and thus they became the children of God. And I love the idea that we're becoming children of God when we knit our hearts together in love and unity. I do think that there is power for us to realize that we do not have boxes to check when it comes to our covenants that we make Mm. to help and serve other people. And maybe we are a little bit constrained in our callings by thinking, oh, I can only do this. I can only serve in this way because that's that's my calling right now. When when we really open up ourselves to what God wants us to do, and how he wants to use his power through us, it becomes fun. Because we think, what errand does God have for me today? And how can I serve? And then we remove those things. I I had an experience, it was over Christmas, so it was during Light the World. I guess I should say we have had this experience. Um, I, we had gotten home from, oh, we had, we were coming home from our cabin Mm -hmm. and we, what, our car died? We were, anyway, it was, we were trying to get to our ward party. Kids were ornery. We were dirty from the mountains. The battery wouldn't start. I mean, it was a horrible night. We were just going to ditch the party. We were going to go home. We were tired and exhausted. We were going to ditch the ward party. And hate to say it, but we were like, well, there's food there. So maybe we just go. (laughs) I was kind of like, I was in a hat, didn't want it to see anyone. And I just walked in that room and had people like so kind. There were people there that cared that I was there and I couldn't help but, um, think of this scripture that because it was like the world and it was a couple a couple days were these scriptures from Matthew 25 for I was an hungered and ye gave me meat 
I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Now, many of our neighbors are not going to be hungry, even though I was hungry that night. <laughs> I, I, I think of these times when I've really been um, strengthened, um, maybe given water in a spiritual sense, by women bearing their testimony, by raising their hand in a class, and giving an answer to my heart. Many of these people, we don't know their, phys- you know, their physical needs may be met, but we don't know the, the yearnings of their heart that maybe they need. I remember specific, I mean, I'm thinking of a few sisters in my ward that they don't even know it. I should probably tell them, but that they've said things that have really fed me and um, visited me in those ways that were spiritual ways. And those are the moments where I think true ministry comes to fruition is when we're searching for those moments to say, God, guide me, give me thy spirit so I can, so I can serve. We'll put a link to this in the show notes, but I was watching this video and I sent it to Krista this week about, it's a a training video, 15 minute long training video. That's just a compilation of clips from the general conference training given to general authorities um, on ministering. And so there's all these clips from general authorities talking and wrestling with what ministry is. And there's this moment, just this small little bit when Elder Rasband quotes this verse in Mosiah 23, verse 18. Therefore, they did watch over their people and did nourish them with things pertaining to righteousness. And he highlighted that as a great verse on ministering. In fact, his exact quote was simple, but in our extra focus on ministering now, it would be wonderful if we kept that in mind to watch over and nourish with things pertaining to righteousness. And that, that was our experience in that Christmas party. We just actually had another ward party. And besides the fact that our ward just rocks at ward parties, they just do an incredible job. We had the same experience again. People were just kind and loving and going out of their way to minister to us. You know, I look over and someone's holding my daughter and I didn't ask them to. This wasn't on assignment It's just the kind of people that we live around. And I think that's people living up to the covenant. And so my burdens are made light, certainly because God strengthens me. I've made that covenant with him, and he promises to strengthen me in my trials and in my difficulties. But they're also made light because I've got neighbors and ward members that lift burdens off of my shoulders, and that provides a lot of freedom for me. It provides a lot of freedom for us. And maybe even making it broader than that as, you know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're uniting in faith. Um, we're making covenants to try and be better um, through him. And one more quote to end here from Elder Bednar. Note the centrality of covenants to the promise of deliverance. Covenants received and honored with integrity and ordinances performed by proper priesthood authority are necessary to receive all of the blessings made available through the atonement of Jesus Christ. For in the ordinances of the priesthood, the power of godliness is manifested unto men and women in the flesh, including the blessings of the atonement. Mosiah 24, verses 20 and 21. And Alman's people departed into the wilderness, and when they had traveled all day, they pitched their tents in a valley, and they called the valley of Alma because he led their way in the wilderness. Yea, and in the valley of Alma they poured out their thanks to God because he had been merciful unto them and eased their burdens and had delivered them out of their bondage. For they were in bondage and none could deliver them except it were the Lord their God. And they gave thanks to God 
yea, all their men and all their women and all their children they could speak, lifted up their voices in the praises of their God. If there's a testimony that I have at the end of this, I've been the beneficiary of so many efforts from people around me to lift my burdens and even more the beneficiary of a God who has covenanted with me, who's tied himself to me to lift my burdens. And we're grateful for that. And so as you go this week, um, remember these principles. Remember that burdens can be a blessing. Remember that you've covenanted with God and tied yourself to him, that he will strengthen you in your burdens, but that you've also tied yourself to people around you and that you are responsible and should be thrilled about lifting their burdens just as they have lifted yours. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. We will be posting on our Instagram page, The Scripture Study Project, if you follow along there and sharing more study tips and more. I'm actually going to go dig through my box to find the one mission picture we have together. <laughs> actually, I think there's a few. There's a couple. We almost made it our wedding announcement picture. No, we didn't. I think you, <laughs> you did. Anyway, thanks for being here. Have a great week. 